All right, what's happening? Good to see y'all. I'm Joe. I'm substitute teacher today. Um, Merry Christmas Eve. Somebody said to me yesterday, Merry Christmas, Adam. I, I hadn't heard that before. I don't know if that was, that's a joke that's been around, but I thought that was great. Um, yeah, so kids, uh, glad you're, you're with us this, this morning. Um, I'm going to try and keep your attention, but if you need to do your coloring stuff, that's fine. Just no iPads. All right, let's, uh, um, actually, if you already got one going and your parents said, okay, listen to what your parents say. But um, I do, I was thinking uh, this morning, Back to um, uh, when I was a kid and uh, going to like extended family gathering at my uncle's place for like a kind of a Christmas party and running around with my cousins and climbing trees and playing video games and just having loads of fun with family and eating lots of sweets and stuff. And then uh, at, at, at some point during the, the day, uh, my uncle would call everybody into the living room, and we would sit and listen to him read the Christmas story for us from Luke chapter 2. And I'll be honest, I remember as a kid thinking like, when is this guy going to be done so we can get back to Christmas? You know what I mean? Like it was like Christmas was being interrupted by Christmas. Um, and maybe you feel that way as a kid or, or an adult. Uh, I'm going to read us the Christmas story uh, this morning, but a much shorter uh, version of the Christmas story. Um, because here's the thing, we're, we're swimming, you know, in, in cultural Christmas every year, right? And it's beautiful and it's wonderful and it's, you know, William Sonoma catalogs and Michael Buble on the radio, you know, it's a, and peppermint uh, mocha things. Um, but you can't contain the true story of Christmas and what it means. It can't be contained within cultural Christmas, though that's how uh, we tend to live, isn't it, right? It's slotted in there between like the dessert and, uh, you know, a family board game, right? But it can't be contained. It's, it's much too uh, uh, powerful, vast, significant. Um, I don't have this quote in front of me, but I, th- I think I have it about right. That Brennan Manning once said, you could more easily catch a hurricane in a shrimp net than you could possibly contain um, the, the miracle that is the incarnation and all that it means. Um, so let me read for us the Christmas story this morning. Now, it's not the cr- traditional Christmas story, um, which is found in Luke and also found in the Gospel of Matthew. But did you know that the Gospel of John also has a Christmas story? And kids, it's more your speed, okay? Because it's just one verse. So let me read it for us from John chapter 1, verse 14, where John says this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. And that's the Christmas story. That's the Christmas story. Let's close in prayer. Just kidding. Let me, t- let, me, let me talk through it a little bit, okay? Just for, not, not for too long, all right? Let's see if you can stay, stick with me. <clears throat> kind of phrase by phrase, the word became flesh. What does that mean? The word became flesh. Well, what does the word 
when, when John said, you know, I mean, we've, if you've been in church for a long time, you've heard that phrase, the word became flesh, and that maybe sounds normal to you, but it shouldn't sound normal to you, you know, especially if you were hearing it for the first time, the word became flesh. When, when John uses the word word, it's the Greek word logos, okay, and it certainly means word, but it means more than word. It also, it, it means like meaning and significance, the meaning behind things, okay? The reason behind things is in the Greek understanding of this word logos, the reasoning behind things. And you know, like, what's the reason behind uh, why we do what we do? What's the reason behind the existence of the universe? What's the reason behind this or that? And John actually starts his gospel with saying, hey, the logos, the word, the reason behind all things, the reason behind the universe is actually not an impersonal idea as the Greeks would have maybe uh, conceptualized. It's not an impersonal thought. The reason behind the very universe is actually a person, a personal God. And the Greeks would have gone, What? What? And then John takes it further, and John 1 verse 14 that I just read says, and this reasoning, this word, this reason behind all things has actually become a human being, took on flesh, the one that we know of as Jesus. That's what the Christmas story is. The word became flesh. God the one who made all things became a man. God took on, God came down, right? Every other worldview or faith system in one form or another is telling you to try and go up. You try and go up and every, every leader of uh, various religious movements effectively came down to say, hey, I'm going to point you in the direction of spiritual truth and spiritual reality and show you how to get up there. But Jesus comes down, the founder of Christianity, and says, I am spiritual reality myself. I'm spiritual reality, and I have come down here. I've come to you. You could never come up to me. So I've come to you. Now, skeptics will say, Christmas story. I mean, it's a cute story. Um, but the only reason it got any traction is because first century people, they believed stuff like that. They believed, they were gullible. They believed these fairy tales. It's not true. Nobody believed this story. Except for the people who were there at the birth of Christ, nobody believed this story until about A.D. 30, on a particular morning, when Jesus, who had been killed, decided he wasn't dead anymore and walked out of a tomb, right? And when somebody predicts their own death and resurrection and then they pull it off, you start to go, what are the other things that he said and did? And you start to recall them and you start talking with Mary and you start talking with these shepherds who are eyewitnesses and going, what happened that night? And they're going, I'll tell you what happened that night. You guys wouldn't listen to me, uh, but now apparently you will. And they're like, yeah, tell us again, what happened that night? And you start believing these miraculous stories of a virgin birth 
God became man. You start rethinking, okay, hang on a second. He died for our sins. He rose again for our future hope. Okay, this makes sense. We could have, there was such a chasm between us and a holy God. We couldn't have done anything about it. And so God had to come to us and do something about it himself. Ah, Christmas. This makes sense. Now think about what this means, right? It means that the message of Christmas is not, hey, cheer up, let's all like work together and we can make this world a better place. The message of Christmas is, no, no, this world was so bad, is so bad, and so is my own heart, that we could never fix it or heal it ourselves. And so God came to do that for us, okay? In other words, the first Christmas present is one of those offensive presents, you know what I mean? By an offensive present. Several years ago, somebody bought me one of those electric uh, nose hair trimmers. Uh, the gall of this person, you know? And I remember thinking like, how dare they uh, think such things about Joe White as I am walking over to the mirror uh, to confirm that indeed it was a needed gift, Right? Uh, and that's the thing. It's, you know, so something like that is an offensive gift. But if you unwrap one tomorrow, it was a needed gift. Right? Somebody knew something that maybe you didn't know. That's like Christmas. To accept what Christmas means, you have to admit something. You have to admit that you need what God came down to give. And what, John, what does John tell us that, that God came bearing? What did Jesus come with? What gifts did he come with? It says he came full of grace and truth. Aw, you know, it sounds like such a sweet gift, but think about it. It is the OG of offensive gifts. It is the most offensive gift you have ever received or will ever receive. Because what it's saying is, hey, you're so messed up. You need grace this Christmas from God himself. And oh, by the way, without Jesus, you don't have a grasp of truth. So Christmas isn't your holiday unless you know that you need grace and truth, right? But maybe you can unwrap that gift and head on over to the mirror and see, in fact, it is true. This is what I need. By the way, I love, I never heard that song, but I love that, Oh, oh Come All Ye Unfaithful. Um, I was thinking about it during the song. I was like, yeah, why we've been singing that heresy for so many years. Who's faithful? Who's faithful showing up in Bethlehem? You know, it's like, who did God come for? No, I mean, not to like kind of riff on this for a second, right? But the, the, orig- the, the most significant event in the history of humanity, the most significant event at the time in the history of the universe, who first hears about it? Shepherds out in the field who had no social standing. Their, their, their testimony wasn't even admissible in a court of law. This is who the message of Christmas comes to. Not, oh, come all ye faithful. Come all ye broken. Come all ye messed up. Come those who have nothing. Come receive what Jesus has brought us. So the word became flesh. But then John says something else. And dwelt among us and dwelt among us. So the Christmas story is that God came down to rescue us, but more than that, 
It's more than that. God came down to be with us. God came down to be with us, to dwell with us, among us. We'll learn further into the scriptures in us. John's saying something amazing here. Again, he's baffling Greek audiences and now he's baffling his Jewish audience when he says this because when you look at the Old Testament, drawing near to God was a terrifying affair. Even Moses, Moses of all people, said, I want to see your face. And God said, you'll die. You know, like, that's not going to work. So great, high, unapproachable is the holy God. Cannot take in his glory. But here John says, he made his dwelling among us. And we see his glory. Moses would have been like, you what? You what? Do you understand what this means? It means that through Christ, anyone, anyone can be in the presence of God, can know him, can know him personally. Christmas is the beginning of the story of God coming into this world, not as judge, but as one who would be judged so that we could be with him again, so that we could be with him again. Love getting gifts for my children, as you, you, those of you with children, probably love getting, uh, giving gifts to your children. Um, love giving gifts to my children that are going to be things that we can do together, right? I remember years ago, m- when my oldest son, when he first got into uh, Pokemon cards, and he wanted some Pokemon cards for Christmas, okay? And, uh, and I, I was excited about it because I was like, I'm going to go on YouTube. I'm going to learn how to play Pokemon. Like this is going to be a game that we will play together and I will win. I will learn how to beat him every time. Um, But I want to, you know, like the best gifts, they are gifts that you can enjoy with the giver of the gifts. And that's Christmas, right? The gift of Christmas is a gift that is meant to be enjoyed with the giver, Christmas doesn't say come and know about Jesus. It says come and know him personally. Come do life with him because he literally moved heaven and earth to restore a connection with us. And when you get that, you see that Christmas isn't just a story, right? And it's certainly not just to be slotted in between a couple of the things on the docket of a family gathering, This is what happened for Soren Kierkegaard. It became more than a story. Soren Kierkegaard, the great Danish philosopher, and he wrestled with religion and claims and had lots of doubts about it for many years. And then he described having a powerful conversion experience, conversion to Christianity experience. And part of it was this recognition, if God really wanted his people back and his world back, He would have to do something like what we see in the Christmas story. And so Kierkegaard wrote a brief little allegory to describe this. Probably a story you've heard before. I mean, John may have even told it to you in the last few weeks. If so, hear it again, okay? Kierkegaard said, imagine a powerful king who loved a humble maiden. Powerful king who loved a humble maiden. She had no royal pedigree, no education, no standing in the court. She was a peasant dressed in rags. 
But for reasons no one could ever quite figure out, the king loved her. But how, the king wondered, was he to reveal his love to the peasant girl? How could he bridge the chasm of station and position that separated them? He was a man of immense power. Every statesman feared his wrath. Every foreign power trembled before him. If he were to approach her directly, she would have no power to resist. But he knew that all the power in the world cannot unlock the door to the human heart. The door to the human heart must be opened from the inside. What then could the king do? He could try to bridge the chasm between them by elevating her to his position, bringing her into his palace with him. But if he brought her to his palace and she saw all the wealth and she saw all the power and all the pomp of his greatness, then she would be overwhelmed. How would he ever know if she loved him or if she just loved his gifts? And conversely, How would she know for certain that he still loved her? What if she became a peasant again? Would his love for her remain? So there was only one way, the king realized, to reveal his love to the peasant girl. And so he rose, left his throne, removed his crown relinquished his scepter, laid aside his royal robes, and he took upon himself the life of a peasant. He didn't just take on the outward appearance. He dressed in rags, scratched out a living in the dirt. He groveled for food. It became his actual life, his nature, his burden. Kierkegaard's concluding Statement, he became as ragged as the one he loved to win the one he loves. It was the only way. Christmas story. Infinite highness becomes finite, condescends, comes down to us. No wonder, no wonder we've been talking about it for 2,000 years. But it's one thing to talk about it. It's one thing to talk about, you know, the Word became flesh, dwelt among us. It's another thing to, I love this phrase that Luke uses in his story when he talks about Mary, the mother of Jesus. He says she treasured these things, pondering them in her heart. It's one thing to talk about the Christmas story. It's another thing to treasure it and ponder it in our hearts. And maybe you're like me if you're a Christian and you're like me and you think every year, you're like, this year, will it, can it really sink in? Maybe I'll treasure it this year. And you don't want tomorrow, tonight, tomorrow to go by without fully treasuring it. Well, let me end on this note by giving you, I think, and myself some recommendations on how we can move this from just being something we talk about to something we treasure in our hearts. Here's what I want you to do. Remember, we're swimming in that sea of cultural Christmas, and we don't want real Christmas to get lost in it. So let's utilize all these images of cultural Christmas to remind our hearts of the story. Okay? Give you a few examples. Gifts. You're going to see gifts. You bought gifts. Uh, You're going to regret getting some gifts. You'll return gifts. Okay? You give gifts, you'll receive gifts. 
whenever you see a gift, whenever you see a gift, let it be a reminder of the gift. The gift of God himself for you. The gift of what God was willing to do to get his people back. Family. Family, okay? Whether yours is great or rotten or somewhere in between, let it be a reminder to you. Christmas is about God coming to get his family back, doing whatever it takes for him to come and get his family back. Family. Pain. Pain. Holiday seasons for those who have lost uh, people in their lives. Holiday season for those who have uh, uh, lost experiences, lost opportunities, um, can be a painful time. Let Christmas, let that pain in your heart, maybe comes and goes today and tomorrow, let it be a reminder that Christmas is about God entering into pain for us. You know, it was not a silent night. It was not a silent night. There was a screaming baby, and that was God. And he went to a manger, born in a feeding trough. What other places did that God go to? A cross and a tomb. He's the God who enters into pain with us and for us. I like this one. Hard to love people, right? You know, you're, you can keep them at, dis, at a distance for most of the year, but then you got to see them, right? Uh, you know, on holidays like this. So you, maybe you're going to be surrounded by some hard to love people. And here's what I want you to remember, okay? When you're in the presence of some of these hard to love people, I want you to think this thought to yourself. Don't say this out loud to them, but just think this thought to yourself. When you're in the presence of a hard to love person today and tomorrow, the thought is this, you're the reason for the season. You're the reason for the season. Without you and all your problems, we wouldn't have this story. You're the reason that Jesus was born. Right? And then let your next thought be, and so am I. And so am I. Here's another one. This is a word you're going to see all over the place. You've seen it all over the place. Ornaments, billboards, commercials. It's the word joy. It's the word joy. But you know, joy apart from the Christian story and joy apart from the Christmas story, it just doesn't, it doesn't have the same meaning. Joy is not happiness. Right? I heard somebody say one time, joy is the happiness that doesn't depend on what happens. Uh, joy is lasting because of what God has done and the joy that we get to have, even despite the pain, even despite the hard to love people in our lives, even despite gifts that we wish we hadn't gotten, gifts that we wish we had gotten and we didn't get in life. Joy transcends those things because we know that God delights in us. It's walking around knowing that he delights in me. And it's walking around knowing that again, the Christmas story was the beginning of his journey to this world. And if he would go to a, uh, a manger and he would go to a cross and he would go to a tomb for me, where would he not go out of love for me? Joy 
is capturing the reality that you've been won back by the work of the Savior on the cross. Or as the Old Testament calls it, a tree. And so every time you see a tree, let it remind you of the tree on which the Savior died, the Savior who came to dwell among us. Merry Christmas, and let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the incarnation, the most glorious of stories only to then be trumped by your condescension even further into suffering and death itself for us, to then be trumped by your victory in the resurrection. But we could say that it begins here. It certainly didn't. The plan started way back, but you showing up on the scene, that's what we remember, that's what we celebrate, that's what we long to treasure and cherish and ponder in our hearts. May our hearts be filled with the Christmas story uh, this evening and tomorrow and every day. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.